Good morning. Man, no sweeter name, right? Man, this is a good day. I'm excited. It's Easter, and, and when Anna told me uh, a couple of weeks ago that, that David had given his life to the Lord, and, and we talked about when to make that happen, and of course she wanted soon as possible. We couldn't quite pull that off, but the next available day was today. And I said, man, what a great, great day to celebrate a new believer than on Easter. Um, we got a lot of new faces in the house today. I'm super excited about it, but I want to take just a minute um, to put some context around what we're going to talk today. Today we're going to be looking, uh, we've been studying the book of Exodus since the beginning of the year, and today we're going to look specifically, we're going to spend most of our time, um, or all of our time today, looking at the ten plagues that God sends on the Egyptians to free the Israelites from the captivity, uh, the 430 years of captivity uh, under, under Pharaoh. So to put some, some context around that, our goal through this study has been to put ourselves in the place of Moses and Aaron as they were obedient to God's call to go and to set people free, to join God to set people free. And so for us as a Gathering Place Church, our goal in this study is to, as we are looking at the life of Moses and Aaron and their obedience to God, is to, to translate that into our own lives and say, God, how are you calling me to join you to set people free? And the most important part of that phrase is the fact that we are joining God. This is not a work that we are doing on our own. It's not because we believe that we uh, have things figured out that other people don't. It's that we are committed to joining God in whatever He's doing. And whenever we join God, people are always set free. That is a reality of the truth that we live in. So today we're going we're gonna to very quickly move through the first nine plagues. Um, last week my intent was to, to, to do that. Uh, God had other plans, which is awesome. Um, Kara and Carrie Westbrook are not here today. Have a little girl, Alyssa, that they are in the process of adopting. They've been fostering her for quite a while, and they shared some testimony last week. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, even we lost power last week, but the the uh, recording equipment was still working because Ben's awesome, um, and so that is up on Podbean. And so go listen to that, church family. If you have not heard that yet, you do not want to miss that that message from the Lord that came through Carrie and Carrie. You can fast forward through me if you want to. That's fine. It won't hurt my feelings, but definitely listen to them. They shared about how, uh, as they've been going through this journey of foster care with Alyssa, that God spoke some very specific things to Carrie in the very beginning before um, they even knew that they were going to receive Alyssa. As a matter of fact, he shared last week that um, God gave him a vision one night of a little mixed-race baby who he was going to call Hope. And now looking back on this, he, it, he's kind of figured out, done the math, that, that God gave him that vision as she was being conceived in darkness. Um, that God already had a plan for her life, that He was going to bring light into the darkness that she was born into. And so, incredible testimony about uh, God's faithfulness even when things don't look like they're going the way. Carrie said last week that, God, I, my, my heart hears what you're saying, but my mind and my eyes see something completely different, and I don't know what to do with this. Incredible testimony of God's faithfulness and also of theirs, so please go and listen to that. So today we're going we're gonna to move through the first nine plagues very quickly. I asked you guys last week to read through those on your own, and so I'm believing that you did. Okay, If you didn't, we all pretty well know what they are. So I'm going to just kind of hit these in rapid succession um, so that we can end out today talking about the Passover on Easter, which is uh, so beautiful. So the first plague that God sends on the Egyptians, and remember God sends Moses in to free the Israelites from slavery to the Egyptians. And, and God says from the very beginning, He tells Moses... I'm going to go in and have you say these things. Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened, and I am going to also harden Pharaoh's heart. And he's not going to let them go. So continue to go, give the message, even though 
right? It's not going to look the way you're expecting it to. I'm working. So the first plague that God sends is where He turns the Nile into, into blood. For the Egyptians, the Nile River was the source of life. And they even worshipped it as a god because so much of their, their livelihood depended on that river. Uh, obviously, if you know anything about Egypt, it's a desert region except where the Nile River is. And so for that, for that river um, to become blood and for all of the fish that are in it to die off uh, was certainly um, a very bad thing, right? So God is showing that the river is not in control of itself. It is not a God that He is God and that He is the creator and the sustainer of life, not the river. Interestingly, the magicians, the sorcerers, it says, have the ability to turn water into blood as well. And so they do that, okay? The next plague is the frogs. Frogs uh, are associated in the Egyptian um, belief system with two different gods of fertility, uh, which I think is ironic because God sent so many frogs um, that they were jumping on everything. Uh, you know, and again, the, the magicians are able to recreate this. Um, I thought about this, this last week while I was studying that. Wouldn't it have been better for the magicians to make frogs disappear rather than adding more problem to the problem? I, that's just my train of thought. I'm not sure what was going through their minds. Um, and for me, this proves that it is very possible for human beings to mimic a move of God, right? We can see that in our culture where people um, can see God moving in an area and they say, okay, God moved over here. Let's look at all the things that went in play. Okay, they had this kind of music and the lighting looked like this and they had this kind of a of a band or choir or whatever. And they will try to recreate that move of God, but it's not a move of God if God's not in it. And, and so as we've talked a lot about joining God to set people free, one of the main things that we want, to, want God to set people free from is dead religion. These things where people are trying to mimic a move of God, but it's not a move of God, it's a move of man, and people are calling it God, just like these magicians were creating uh, very similar things and calling it God uh, because of what they were doing. Okay? In that, in that, we see Pharaoh begin to break just a little bit. The frogs are annoying. I'm sure his wife was in his ear about that, right? Uh, frogs are gross, um, and especially if they're on everything. And so we see him start to break just a little bit, and, and God gives some relief, and then Moses goes right back to his pride. The next, uh, but, and God gives him relief in that he kills all the frogs, but he leaves them there. So now we went from a, 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 a weird, jumpy mess to a very stinky mess. The next, uh, the next plague that comes in is the gnats. Um, something new here, though. The magicians try to recreate this one. They're unable to, and I find this so cool, is that because they were unable to recreate it, it says in the Scripture, if you go back and look at that story, the magicians go to Pharaoh and say, we can't do it, it must be God. And so God takes these men who are using their own ability and their own skills, and He is helping them to see that it's not about them. It's not something that they can do in their own power, but there is a real and living God that can do these things. And so that message of the trueness of God begins to be spoken to Pharaoh by the very people he was counting on to help convince the Israelites that God was not real. The next plague is flies. And we know that that's different because the Hebrew word there is a different word from gnats to flies. Many people believe that these flies uh, are biting flies. And so now we have a stinky, smelly mess which probably, you know, the gnats love that. The flies also love that. But now we see something new happening. The first three plagues were simply uncomfortable or unsightly, things like that. But now we're moving into the next set of three plagues, which are going to be um, both painful and expensive for the Israelites. And so we see God progressing this. And, and God is showing a separation between the Israelites and the Egyptians because these plagues are not happening to the Israelites. 
the area in which they were allotted to live, the area of Goshen, these plagues were not happening there. And so God is setting the Israelites apart from the very beginning and saying, these are my people, I love them, I am their protector. Okay? So, um, it, let's see. So God's raising the stakes with these first three plagues. All right? And now he's going to the next three and he's raising them anymore. Okay? And these are going to do more than just alter a little bit about how they do life. It's going to have um, very hard, very heavy effects on them. Um, and I think it's interesting as we look at these, at, at, the each, at the end of these, it either says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, or he hardened his own heart, or God hardened his heart. And I think it's really neat that God used their own culture to, to speak something very heavy, something very big to the Egyptian people. In the Egyptian belief system, your ability to go into the afterlife, afterlife was based on your accomplishments and the weight of your heart. And so when Scripture says, when Moses is saying that, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, that he was hardening it, and that God was hardening it, he's communicating that Pharaoh, because of his pride, because of the type of man he was, was limiting his own ability to go into the, what they believe to be the afterlife. Okay? So God is systematically breaking down this religious system that the Egyptians believe in. He's taking each little step and saying, okay, this thing that you believe is not right, and here's why. The next thing you believe, here's why it's not, why it's not true. The fifth plague is the Egyptian livestock die. You want to get people's attention? Get in their wallets, right? That gets your attention. And so God says, oh, Pharaoh, you're still not, you're still not going to listen to me? Okay, let me get in your wallet a little bit. They've already lost their source of food from the, the Nile River. And now God's killing off all the Egyptian livestock. Again, this is not affecting the Israelites. It's just affecting the Egyptians. Okay? Um, so we see God moving in er every area of their life. That God is, is taking each little aspect of their life and saying, hey, this thing right here, I have control over it, not you. This area over here, I have control over that, not you. The next plague that we run into is the, the boils that are on their skins, the infections that come. And so God is also, for them, beauty was a, a very big part of their culture and their their self, their, their view of their self. And uh, if you'll remember, Pharaoh believed himself to be a god. And so even Pharaoh as a god is being afflicted by these boils, by these infections. And again, Israel is unaffected. The seventh, uh, excuse me, that was the sixth plague. The seventh plague is hail. We have a major shift up until now. All of this, um, these plagues have been happening to Egypt and they had no choice in the matter. This is the first one where we see Moses give direction from God to the Egyptians and say, another plague is coming. If you don't want to suffer from it, be obedient to God and do this thing. God tells them to move all of your men and all of your animals from outside to inside. Hail is coming. If you don't want your stuff to die, bring it indoors. Okay, so we see a shift here. God is, is giving the Egyptians an opportunity to, to be a part of what He is doing. Um, and at this point, all the livestock, or most of them are gone, the fish are gone, and now because of the hail, all the crops that we're currently growing have also been destroyed. And so God is taking away from the Egyptians because of the pride of Pharaoh, their sustainment of life. He's taking away everything that they have. The eighth plague is locusts. Um, and each time we see a little glimmer of hope, we, we, Pharaoh acts like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let the people go, and then God takes the pressure off and he says, never mind, I'm just kidding around. The locusts come in. What had not been destroyed previously by the plague, the locusts come in and they devour. So all of their, their ability to provide for themselves is gone. And then the ninth plague is darkness. In this plague, God is proving 
that he is the one and true God. The king of gods, as far as the Egyptians were concerned, was, was Ra. And he was the sun god. And so for God to darken the sun for three days, it is God proclaiming his deity over everything. Saying this, this God that you believe to be the king of the gods, he's not real. I am real. I am the creator. Okay? God is finalizing, if not in Pharaoh, in all of Egypt's hearts, that Yahweh is the God. That there are not many. He is the God. Okay, so God uses their culture to establish himself. He uses their belief system to establish and to prove that he is the one true God. We see the same thing happening. You guys know the story of Paul when he goes to the temple of the unknown God and says, oh, this unknown God, I, let me tell you about who that God is. We see God using the same type of, of work, the same activity in the life of the Egyptians. So today we're going to look at the final plague. So turn with me uh, to Exodus chapter 11. We're going to read a, a pretty good bit of scripture today. So I want to ask you to just sit up in your spirits. Um, I was talking with uh, Zach Mullis and, and Joel and, and uh, Kevin Williams the other day. And, and I'm just going to share this with you guys to just be vulnerable with you for a minute. Um, in the past, I have felt, I, I don't know the right word, guilt is not the right word, of reading a lot of scripture because I felt like it was a waste of people's time. I know that sounds stupid coming out of my mouth. Okay, you can judge me if you want to. But it's just, it's a weird thing in me. But we're going to read scripture today because, and I love the way Zach said this, God can teach us a lot more through his word than I could ever say, right? Can we agree to that? Amen? Okay, so sit up in your spirits. Let's read God's word together. Exodus uh, chapter 11. We're going to start there and I'm going to break down a few things in that, okay? The Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of his people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. He went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. So I want to say this again today. When we talk about joining God to set people free, it's not because we believe that we've found some secret that no other church has. What we believe is, is what we experience today. That God sets people free. That God draws us to Himself. He shows us the truth of who He is. And that's what we want to share people with people. When we talk about joining God to set people free, it's us committing to saying, God, I'm going to be obedient to Your call for me no matter what. So point number one I want to make today is our obedience reveals to God reveals God to the people in our life. Our obedience reveals God to the people in our life. 
when we walk in obedience to God, it becomes evident to the people in our lives that what is going on in our life is not of us. Because it's bigger than us. God doesn't do little small things. God does God things. God's character is revealed to the people that God has put in our life when we obey Him. Okay? Because the world is seeing God-exclusive activity. We talk a lot about the abiding cycle here. Okay? And it's so important. The abiding cycle is this, if you hadn't heard before. Okay? God speaks. Think of it like a clock. That's how I think it helps me. At 12 o'clock, God speaks. And then we, we have a choice. to We can obey or we can disobey. When we choose to obey God, then we see God-exclusive activity. And what we mean by that is it's things that only God can accomplish. And when we experience that God-exclusive activity, it causes us to fall deeper and deeper in love with God. And then we go back to the top again and say, okay, God, what's next? Okay? So as we are obeying God and God is doing God-exclusive activity, the people in our lives see that. Now, they may not immediately attribute that to God. They may think it's us, and I'll share an example of that in just a minute. But if we continue that conversation, if we are continuing to live that out in front of them, before long, it's going to be evident that the work that is happening is not us. It's God. It's God doing that work. A lot of you guys know, some of you don't. um, My full-time job is I'm a sales manager for Petron, okay? I do a lot of other things. But sales is kind of, that's, that's what I was hired for. Okay, so I sell gas pumps. Things, you know, like we can go to, to get gas. We sell gas stations, all that kind of stuff. God is, has, through me, created, and I'm saying that specifically that way, God, through me, has created accounts for Petron in the realm of sales that have not been there before and that other people have tried to accomplish but haven't been able to. Okay? Now, I'll be the first to tell you I'm a terrible salesman. Okay? And I'll tell you why. I don't upsell, okay? That's like salesman 101, right? Anybody in here a salesman? Raise your hand, okay? You want to upsell, right? You want always, <laughs> somebody's shaking his head, no. In sales, most people make their money, right? Sales people make their money based on commission, okay? I don't make a commission, so that enables me to not act that way and not to sell them that way. But what I tell people is I want to help you get what you need, right? And only that, okay? And my goal behind that, my heart behind that it's not because I don't want to make Petron more money, because that'd be fantastic, right? They make more money, I make more money. That's how the system works, okay? What I'm communicating to them is that what's most important for me and what's most important for them is that, that they are taken care of, okay? And from the outside looking in, most of the time when people don't know me well, their first inclination is to think that that's just Will's personality. He's just doing that because he's a nice guy. But as I have developed relationships with these people, what they've come to understand is I am a nice guy. But the reason that I do things that way is because of who God is. Because as I am selling gas pumps, my long-term goal is to develop a relationship with this person that I'm selling to so that I'll have an opportunity to share the gospel if God brings that up. Okay? So it's not about me, and it's not about gas pumps. It's about making God known. And the way that happens is me being obedient in the things that I'm doing at work and then getting to see God-exclusive activity. There are people that I work with. I've, I've maintained or, or gained relationship status with some of these companies that we work with that baffles them. They don't understand why someone would not even ask me for a price for something. They just call and say, order it, and I do. They can't, they can't wrap their brain around that. And it's because there's a trust that's been developed there. And it's not because Will's a great guy. It's because they see God's activity in my life. And they know that they can trust me because of that. 
a, a verse that I discovered years ago that I live by is 1 John 4.12. And I love the, the New Living Translation version of this. It says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and is brought to full expression in us. You see, when we love God and our goal is obedience... God is evident in our life and His love, God is love, the full expression of that is brought forth in our life and people experience God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. We want people to know who God is and the way we do that is by loving one another and loving God and being obedient to what He's called us to do. Okay? When we obey God, people see God. Not us. And that's exactly what God is trying to do through Moses in Egypt. God is not sending Moses before Pharaoh so that Pharaoh knows that Moses is a great guy. God is sending Moses before Pharaoh to give a very clear message. Let my people go. Right? It says that that the Egyptians are seeing it, but Pharaoh is still holding it out. We are at the point now, we've moved through these plagues, And Moses is saying to Pharaoh, if you don't let my people go, God is going to kill all of the firstborn in this land. I don't know about you, but that gets my attention. I love my children dearly, right? We love our children. And so to be given a promise like that would make me second guess. But it says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he and all of Egypt would know once and for all that God was God of all. We see this phrase over and over again that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. This week in Life Group, a great, great question for you guys to consider. We talked about this in one of Russ's Exodus classes is, was it just for God to harden Pharaoh's heart? That's something that we need to struggle with and wrestle with because when we do, it reveals more of God's character to us. Okay, We're going to see in a minute in chapter 12 that the result of the, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and God hardening it is that ultimately Israel is going to be set free. And not only are they being set free, I love in this chapter 11 that God tells the men and the women to go to your neighbor and ask for silver and gold. And it says that God gave Moses and the Israelites much esteem among the Egyptians. Now think about that for a moment. This is God's exclusive activity. Moses has been representing Israel before Pharaoh. And all of Egypt has seen what's going on. And they've seen disaster after disaster after disaster as a result of Pharaoh's disobedience to God. Right? But here at the end, right before this final plague, they are lifting up Israel. They held high esteem for them. That's God doing something. I'm going to tell you right now, if I lost all of my animals and all of my crops and all of my livelihood, esteem is not what I would have toward those people. Right? But that's what God does. When we are obedient to Him, He does what only God can do. Okay? So I'll just say this to kind of get your brains thinking in that direction. We know, we have discovered by experience, that God will allow us to go through whatever is necessary to get us to a place where we are ready to receive Him. Right? We call that getting to the end of ourselves. God will allow us to go through whatever is necessary to get us to the end of ourselves. And that's what we see happening in the life of Pharaoh. Let's look at chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 28. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. 
It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasting it on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let no one of, none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. On, on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on these days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statue forever. In the first month from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened, in all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood of the lentil, on the lintel on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house or strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as He has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For He has passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt, and he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went out and did so, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, they did. 
God chooses to reveal Himself through His people. God reveals Himself to the Egyptians by His work and by the obedience of His people. God gives Moses and Aaron very, very specific instructions on what they are to tell the Israelites and the way in which they are supposed to, to, to move forward in what God's calling them to do. God is making a very clear distinction between Israelites and the Egyptians. He's saying, these are my people. I've set them apart and I'm going to save them. None of the plagues happened in the region where the Israelites lived. But it stands to reason if there were Egyptians that lived in that area, they would have benefited because of their proximity to the Israelites, right? But through this last and final plague, that is going away. God is saying to the Israelites, put the blood of the Lamb on your doorpost and I will pass over them, okay? God allows Israel to play a role in showing his might by giving them the responsibility to follow the guidelines that He has given them. Our role in joining God to set people free is being obedient to God. God is going to give you very specific instructions. With Carrie and Kara last week, God gave Carrie a very clear vision about who his daughter was going to be and what he's supposed to name her when she becomes theirs. And Carrie is living in obedience to that. And as a result, even though things didn't look like it, we're seeing God-exclusive activity. Okay. As Russ pointed out in our introduction to, um, to Exodus, we have to deal with this idea of how do an unholy people live in the presence of a holy God. only way that happens is through sacrifice. God's wrath passes over Israel because of the blood of a perfect lamb. And I think it is so fitting that today of all days is when we find ourselves studying this. The day when we celebrate the death and the resurrection of a perfect Lamb. Because of our sin, we too deserve God's wrath. But God has placed the Lamb over us and we have been cleansed, we have been washed by His blood. We have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story, right? As we are here reading this Passover story, we know what's coming. What's coming eventually is a new, a better, perfect lamb. We know who's coming to crush the serpent's head. This freedom that we're called to bring to people to the world, this idea of needing Jesus by, has, has been reduced by the church to a set of rules and regulation. We want to free people from dead religion and, and we want them to understand that, that being a believer is not just about a list of do's and don'ts, but it's about a living active relationship with the Lord where He speaks and He moves and He works and we get to be a part of that. God sent His Son, His spotless Lamb, to come and do what we could not do, which was to fulfill the law. Right? We know that because we've, we've studied this, this Scripture before on our own, that what's going to happen after they get out into the wilderness, after God sets them free, is He's going to give them a list of rules. And then people, well-meaning people, are going to manipulate that into a whole host of things that God never intended. And then God is going to send Jesus and He's going to come and say, hey, all that stuff you've added to this, this was not my intent. My intent was for people to be free from sin. And that's what we're celebrating today. Today, as, we're, as we celebrate Passover, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, 
we're going to look at what Jesus taught his disciples when they gathered in the upper room. Right before his death, there at Passover. Turn with me to Luke 22, verses 7 through 20. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus said to Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and he gave... And when he had given thanks to it, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after he had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Jesus' death at Passover is the completion of the work that God started in Egypt. God began to tell the Israelites through the sacrifices of the lambs that I am your Savior. We talked about this idea in the Exodus class of God's ownership of the Israelites, that He is able to see, say to them in their minds, I am your God because I brought you out of Egypt. I paid that price for you. And Jesus is saying the same to us. I can claim you because I have paid the price for you. He has saved us. We join God in setting people free by obeying what He said and by letting our lives and our words be a testimony to the greatness of who God is. That we can proclaim before the people that live in our lives that God is good and that He's active and that He's living. And that we are so in love with God because He gave up His Son for us, and because He loves us. And that we don't have to be slaves to sin and death anymore. We want people to understand God's grace. That God gives us what we don't deserve. That it doesn't matter if we follow the rules or if we don't, that God's love does not change. He loves us because He loves us, not because we performed or acted in a particular way. And so today, I'm, I'm overjoyed for us as a body, we started with a celebration of a baptism of a young man saying, I need my Savior. I need to be washed clean. And we're going to come today and we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. And I'm going to, Glenn, in just a minute, I'd like you to come up and help me serve. We're going to do this a little different than we've done before. Jesus said on the night before he was killed, he gathered his disciples together. He said, This is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember the work that I am doing for you. Then he said, this is the cup and it is the same. When you drink of it, remember that my blood was shed for you. So today as we celebrate 
Easter. We celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the baptism. I'd ask you to come down the middle aisles and then return back to your seats and hold the elements and we'll take them together. So would you please come? Just grab a piece of bread off and a cup and bring it with you.